for thousands of years, true love or falling in love. The literature of, of romantic literature is filled with this looking for mating and falling in love for life. This is Shashi Saluna. Welcome to the Tantra Made Easy podcast. And today I'm super excited to be hosting someone who I've been following for a while. I want to introduce Dr. Stuart Savetsky, who has 50 years of academic research experience into all these kind of interesting areas from psychology into the translation of Sanskrit yoga scriptures and studying Tantra in all kinds of interesting ways, as well as also um, a, uh, a more practical side of working as a counselor, doing counseling with couples. So welcome, Stuart. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> so I'd like to just start by asking you how you began, like the beginning of this long journey. What was it that first led you into your studies? Well, as that 50-year uh, number sinks in, yeah, it's, it, it makes me, I think, I'm kind of a, a walking museum um, on this topic because in the 50s, there was no such thing as a sexual liberation anything. <laughs> 50s, you know, the, my childhood era, um, and the pill, for example, hadn't even, hadn't been invented. So the idea of separating fertility from sex was impossible in any reliable way. You know, so you have to kind of go back in a time machine to see, and then let me just flash ahead and say, um, from my current research, which is all these years and lots of different angles on Tantra, including, um, you know, straight ahead couples counseling with, with transforming divorce bound marriages. They're not, we're not talking about Tantra, we're just trying to hold families together. So it's very broad range. But I would just say that, the, the distance that I've seen our culture, our Western culture travel since the 50s to present about sex, there's an equal amount of traverse to integrate what I would like to share with you, given the, the current status of maybe call it Neo-Tantra and what I, I read in, uh, from the uh, scriptures of, of what's missing. And I'll just give you a, a you know the, the the bottom line of that which is fertility mm -hmm. you, you know I, I know that word is not uh, included in people's thinking about uh, Tantra or neo Tantra but when you read the scriptures that that's so central to what um, Hatha yoga and Kundalini yoga Tantra it's constantly talking about the mother energy Kundalini or uh, Urdhva Retas, Retas means seed, and they're trying to get this seed to blossom in the human body. It, it, fertility, it, it's, it's part of, it's the, where, the, where the profundity kind of comes from. So that's a glimpse, if you can imagine how long it's going to take. Um, I'm a lone voice because, of, for other reasons, I won't get into them right now, but there's, you know, I'm trying to have... Uh, and it's a different uh, understanding, I would say, of fertility than the one that the Catholic Church gave up, gave um, religiously interested people that sex was about procreation. No, it, it's it, 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 I, we have to let go of all of that kind of Western theology around procreation or science, which just makes it be like reproduction. 
and the manipulation of DNA is totally possible. And, but experientially, there's a gap. You know, uh, we can talk about the spirituality of consciousness, I think largely because uh, LSD happened in the 60s and made, uh, uh, you know, set this project of looking at, at um, anything new and spiritual on the basis of this breakthrough of consciousness. But the uh, bodily aspect has many components. Kundalini, we have the word, but it really is somewhat um, lacking without a, a, this broader understanding of fertility. So if I go back to your original question, yeah, um, we were all pretty clueless in the 50s and 60s, uh, and rock and roll hit the scene, and, and, and in my college years, you know, the, uh, my college went from all guys to the beginning of, of being co-ed. There were huge cha changes that were happening. Um, the pill what, hadn't really been invented in, in, and out and about until the 70s, really, the late 60s, 70s. And abortion was very murky area. So it was, you know, it was a lot, it was a lot different of a, a landscape in which to have sex like many times per week. Uh, and, and I'm fascinated by the fact that you highlight fertility. I think because in my own work, I do a lot of female practices. We do breast massage. Uh, we work with the jade egg. And something that I've noticed is that what comes alive in you is, um, is pure life force energy. And it's very much about this creative spark in the womb. That's not only about creating children, but it's about creating music, about creating art, about creating your life. Um, so there's this sort of magical spark. And um, so when I first heard your work, I really lit up. I was like, wow, that's, that's it. That's what, that's what this uh, life force is. It's, it's fertility. So um, I'm curious to hear you, you use the word, this range of experience that isn't talked about in sexuality. What, what is it that um, you would describe as the experience of fertility in a man or in a woman? Well, uh, in, in the erotic arena specifically, I mean, we could talk more broadly about family life and creating a home, and uh, like you say, general creativity. And, uh, and let me add in another kind of a, um, translation that, that I would add is that we have, the human body has more than one puberty. So the first puberty has to do, yeah, with... Um, with the procreative fertility. But that does, as you're sort of saying, yeah, there's just general creativity. And uh, that's where I think we, we have to be open to a puberty that, is, that renames Kundalini awakening as a Kundalini puberty of the spine, meaning the identity, your sexual functioning changes, your hormonal chemistry changes. Uh, so, and none of this is well mapped out. Uh, it's in bits and pieces, uh, like oxytocin. Um, I think in just in the past several years, as you know, science scientists are trying to call it the love hormone. Yeah. Now we have not just adrenaline and testosterone to uh, track, you know, uh, anxiety or fear and excitement or sex drive, but now we have something to track the feeling of love. So. Um, maybe you can re refresh the, my focus a little bit. Um, 
about, you know, so for, yeah, this for, fertility in, would, would have to expand, not just to menstrual cycle and uh, the, the capacity to, to, to have fertile sex and create life. Yeah, but that is the basis for this, I, you know, just one thing after another, I'm introducing new, new concepts, but this um, puberty of the hypothalamus. Mm. <laughs> the hypothalamus, you know, science would say uh, is the center where all this eroticism begins. Mm -hmm. The stimulating hormone that gives, that governs these menstrual cycle happens. I'm pointing to my forehead, even though I know we're not on video. Um, <laughs> you know, we have to get that, which interestingly is the center of yogic bliss of the sixth chakra. Um, so there's th that overlap. But how do we um, develop a, a, a baseline of something like oxytocin in the bloodstream at, at, at a very high constant level so that we would say, oh, when the hypothalamus has this puberty that's based on all the rest of the glands as well, we, we feel uh, basically a constant sense of love. Wow. You know, being abstract or like an ideal of, of love one another, we should love one It's the same, you know, you don't have to tell teenagers to feel like they're teenagers or the, to be attracted to one another. It's a function of the teen puberty. Mm -hmm. But what, and after that, love, what's the idea of love comes and goes? But what if, if the religions teach really that it, it could be a constant state? Science would, we might be able to say, we're beginning to be able to say, but that wouldn't, <laughs> oxytocin is high level, constant flowing through our bloodstream. And so how do people, how does this second awakening happen? Like in puberty, it happens automatically, right? You become a teenager and, and along comes puberty for most. So what about this second awakening? What is it that stimulates it? Is it a random, like the, the random continuing awakening, or is it because of practices or some other reason, falling in love? What is it that stimulates the second puberty? I think falling in love is probably the strongest example of what you just mentioned. Yeah. <laughs> but we have to see how much uh, theory has, it prevents it from happening. Right. You know, that, that, so there's like a spell that I would say Freud and his followers ever since, that the teen puberty is, is it, and that will give rise to our total erotic liberation. Mm -hmm. So there's trillions and trillions of dollars. I mean, the pornography websites are in the quadrillion hits mm -hmm. by now, and it's all based on this genital puberty. Um, so to break that spell, if you can just imagine and liberate all that energy, and if it were to go up the spine, you can imagine, I'm trying to compact an answer, it would uh, be such a massive release of pent-up arrows that has trapped in the, in the genital puberty. It's yeah. not like, and you look, I think you know, porn is a perfect place to look. You see, they're just going over the same ground over and over and over again. Yeah. Tantra, no Tantra, they're plugging into, uh, where else can they plug? They have to plug into our culture where it's at. Mm -hmm. But to break the spell of Freud and Neo-Tantra, which is very, I would call it hypnotized by the current theories, and also the Sanskrit translators, who, who use the word SEX to try to talk about certain yogic uh, sexual practices, and, um, and, and that's going to muddy our, our perspective. 
So breaking that spell, uh, the, the first glimpse we get of that is, yeah, if, anytime anyone falls in love, it's a huge uh, altered state. And the, 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 the great challenge is, yeah, practices that would keep that alive, that high state of the first honeymoon period or whatever to call it. You know, and I can just give you one small example. Um, I'm going to take my middle fingers and touch my forehead as an anointment practice. You, your, your, view, your listeners can't see it, but you and I can. You know, yeah, something like that to reach over. I've done that in, in groups for the last 30 years teaching Nyasa and try to say this would be X-rated in the new system of arrows, touching your partner's forehead would be considered X-rated, but it would be an X rating that would refresh the, the basic meaning of X rating, which is adult knowledge. It's not something, you know, pornographic and being taboo. X rated was, this is information that adults need. And we, we, you know, you have to be a certain age to even understand it. All that has been pretty much lost from our, you know, even our rating system. But we know what I'm talking about. And it's to touch another person's forehead, for it to be as char erotically charged as a sex scene, it doesn't register, but yeah. it should. But yeah. I'm talking a different. <laughs> A different land, you know, uh, landscape of arrows that you're asking me about is how do you get there? Well, every, I can have an example. We all are aware of falling in love, but how do you keep that going, that high state? Well, one would why touching the forehead with, and touching it in reverence and gratitude, in awe that this is in a person, and you're receiving it simultaneously as giving it. Mm -hmm. So all healthy. A hormonal profile in the bloodstream of awe has to be quite amazing, overwhelmed by the magnitude of your partner mm -hmm. as you, they're, them as if they're holy. Mm -hmm. And so that too, if you do that every day for an hour, it's, it, it's you know, I have to use a crude analogy, but, but is that it's like masturbation. Yeah, yeah. What I mean by that is it cultivates the hypothalamus the way masturbation cults the, cultivates the genitals. Yeah, yeah. If people stop masturbating and having sex, uh, your, your, your uh, sexual urges will really uh, diminish. If, and if you masturbate a lot, I mean, the pornography research shows this, you know, it, it gets pe people very uh, aroused. So what I'm trying to do is this, it's a strange leap to say that touching the forehead is to stimulate the hypothalamus, the third eye, to secrete oxytocin, melatonin, serotonin, dopamine. These are chemistries of consciousness. So starting to open the upper centers, basically. I'm so happy to hear you say this because I always start my couple's tantra with a blessing, heart to heart, and then third eye to third eye, and then and hands to hands, and eye to eye. And I always do this one, and I, and I find the whole energy in the room shifts after a few minutes of giving a blessing to one another. And it's such an unusual thing in our culture to bless one another. It's like we only know to make love to one another. And the idea of blessing is so, um, so sadly unusual, and yet everybody can do it. It's just an attitude to, to see the other as a very precious human being and then everything can shift. 
So what you're sharing is that with just simple practices like this, a couple can start to awaken higher centers and shift their, their erotic life from just being purely genital um, first level puberty into this matured kundalini puberty. Exactly, and it's the body's not segmented. So, yeah, the, this um, the, the the chemistries of awe and reverence, you know. Now, um, <clears throat> the sexual genital contact with a you know, I'm I'm hypothesizing that at a certain a num let's say a, a five hundred uh, forehead blessing ceremonies, the hypothalamus is really secreting. But before that, it's not enough. Uh, you know, it's just not going to be a big change. But let's let's imagine a certain number that's way beyond the average. Maybe people will do this a few times in their whole life. They'll reach across and annoy each other, but not every day for a few years. So we have to start to really. What's the accumulative effect? I mean, I I saw this. There was not was not nowhere near the amount of sex going on in the fifties. Like I say, because there wasn't a safe contraception. Uh, and there certainly wasn't any any internet and pornography. There was Playboy magazine. There weren't the stimuli that we now have. So to try to imagine, you know, this different amount of erotic stimulation and what has happened, I'm saying, yes, we want to take that giant amount that's happened about ordinary sex and try to say, yeah, we by awakening the pineal and, and hypothalamus with this kind of blessing, and then you will get a breakthrough. Mm -hmm. And in our, you know, we're very impatient, we, particularly around sex. You know, it's, the way it's defined is that you want to, you know, uh, rush into each other's arms and not be, you know, slowed down. In fact, I, I, I did teach this uh, forehead anointment at a Society of the Scientific Study of Sex uh, conference. And this is like in the early 80s. And people... They, they were like uh, very impatient, let me just say, with, with my talk. What does this have to do with sex? You know, what does this have to do with anything? You know, the impatience was so high that it was 30, 25 years later, the president of the Society of the Scientific Study of Sex, Marty Klein, who's a pioneer in ordinary sexology, he personally apologized to me because... <laughs> You know, this, oh, what does this have to do with sex? So, yeah, this, but then you still have to imagine, yeah, uh, a couple years of this, like what happens between age 10 and 13. This is not just techniques. It's like puberty. It's yeah. built into the body. We're trying to make space that more puberties can happen. Yeah. They can be cultivated. And a lot of it is you have to, we have to kind of break the spell that we didn't arrive at the final sexual liberation. We didn't even, we don't even have a map of complete human match, maturation. <laughs> there could be more. <laughs> you can see the side effects. The Me Too movement is massive. Men and women don't know how, how to respect each other because we have very shallow definitions of arrows and they're inadequate. Mm -hmm. And we've been for several, for uh, let's say for 40 or 50 years, there's, uh, like I say, trillions of uh, the, the, the pornography impact is hard to register. You, you can't put the pieces of this puzzle together of how shoddy and falling apart this paradigm is that we've been following yeah. about so-called sexual liberation. And what so I'm, do, you, do you think yeah. that ancient Tantra actually has a potential to heal societal problems? You know, like 
you, you're mentioning all these things like Me Too, we have sexual violence, we have porn addiction. And, um, you know, like, what if, this is a passion of mine, I'm asking this question, like, what if we work with sex offenders and have them work on their, their spine, raising sexual energy, awakening these higher centers? Do you think that, there, that there's also a place where Tantra could help with these societal problems? Completely, you know, the, the kind of see it in a very big picture, it's like saying, well, won't if, if you have a round earth globe that replaces this flat earth map, is that going to change anything? You know, if you tell Columbus, you know, well, you know, 1492, 500 years ago, you know, the, the earth is flat. What are you telling me that if a globe is going to change our sense of the earth? Of course, it's going to change our sense of the earth because it's been a faulty map for centuries. Yeah. Likewise. You know, Copernicus had the same problem that the uh, Earth is not in the center of the solar system. And he saw, he had, you know, he made these observations that, that, that in order to make it look like the, the, the sun is in the middle of the solar, the, I mean, excuse me, that the Earth is in the middle, the way that the church believed, you had to have these very weird elliptical orbits to, to accommodate the actual observations. That's what I see is happening with our sexual uh, paradigm is that it just cannot it's we're, we're seeing the paradigm is inaccurate that we have much more human development to uh, map out and all the, a lot of cultures have mapped it out the pagan fertility cults mapped it out what were they worshiping they were worshiping fertility and in, 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 in an erotic way that way we barely scratched the surface to unearth what their lives were like, but we know they called themselves fertility cults. Mm -hmm. And Kundalini and Tantra, they really are much closer to being fertility cults than sex cults. Mm -hmm. oh, it's so much more. I love this reframing. It's because I think Neo-Tantra is, um, it, it is just taken by the modern mind as a, another form of sex. And it's always a struggle for Tantra teachers to say, well, it's working with sexual energy, but you can't even describe it because it's so different from how the cultural norm is of thinking about sex. So you can't even describe it to people. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like saying, well, can't we use a Earth-centered solar system map to talk about a, a solar-centered solar system? Yeah. You keep using the word sex. And, and I know it's impossible to make this leap, but by keep using that word, we keep going back to, can't we keep sex in the middle of this solar system? Yeah. But, but you know, that you're saying is the earth isn't the center of it? That, what does that mean? Desire and all the sexiness, the hormones of the human body are so different that you really feel like it's an inaccurate word. Yeah. To, the real word in, in Tantra is Paryanga, by the way. Mm -hmm. Tantra is like the word physics. It's a, you know, it's an umbrella term for the nature, vibratory nature of reality, the interactive nature of reality. Mm -hmm. The non-tantric or less tantric philosophies um, were not so interactive. They were just talking about attainment of self-realization, let's say. Mm -hmm. But dealing with the rest of the world, you kind of, it was secondary. Mm -hmm. Tantra Oh, that's not totally, let's not forget about it. And so all the different ways of interacting outside of closing your eyes, meditating, 
and attaining self-realization. You open your eyes, there's a lot that could be learned. Um, so Tantra is this huge area that includes herb, herbal, music, art, all kinds of things. Haryanga, interestingly, no one I know in the, in the Tantric world even knows that that is the accurate Sanskrit word for erotic uh, yoga. Wonderful. Well, I'm glad you said it then. It's okay, so that's the very beginning. Now, if you read Tiramular, T-I-R-U, T-I-R-A-M-U-L-A-R, uh, his uh, work is the Tirumandiram, you start to see the requirements. And that's where I got my concept of a, of a kind of a hypothalamic puberty. Because he says there's, there's, you can't have uh, what we would call tantric sex, if you just try to use that word, until the brain is secreting uh, amrita, right. which I mean melatonin and serotonin, some chemistry that uplifts your consciousness. Yeah. Like LSD, you know, I think that's another way to try to get some common experiential ground. People, enough people have taken LSD to say, it's, it makes you be in a different state of consciousness. Yeah, yeah. Don't say it's like taking an aspirin. People so if, know that... If you were trying to describe to the uninitiated, uh, because yeah. I think people need some kind of incentive. So if you're trying to describe to the uninitiated why they should maybe explore beyond just the just of genital sex, that would be one way is to say, well, imagine, you know, like taking LSD, shifting your consciousness, states of bliss... Um, you know, that that can be experienced through your eroticism, then that would be a way to sort of help explain it to people. And I'd like to also just ask you about couples because uh, something also that really touches me about your work is um, how highly you speak of um, cultivating relationships um, because I, I, I noticed it myself in the last sort of decade in Tantra that um, that, ha that many people sort of associate Tantra with not being in relationship, with having many, many partners. And um, I'm, I'd be fascinated if you could speak a little bit about um, working with relationships and, and is it possible to, to practice Tantra in, in a long-term, even monogamous relationship? Right, yeah. Um, it's seeing someone as holy or as as having as powerful an effect, let's say, as LSD or MDMA. I think MDMA was more known as this instant love drug. People would take it and fall in love. I have many memories of, you know, and client contact. Oh, I did MDMA and now we're getting married. You know, <laughs> it, you're just in this very high state and you realize how, how much of a lack of permission we have even to say I love you to people. Mm-hmm. It's worse. It's like that starved people so badly that they we've lost touch with it. But we can yeah, love one another and in the fluency of receiving and giving uh, love, emotion touches that are so so fulfilling that you stop looking around. Mm. Now that 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 possibility has is gone. What we used to call up until the '60s and for thousands of years, true love or falling in love. The literature of, of romantic literature is filled with this looking for mating and falling in love for life, you know? And, and so this, this is gone. And so uh, I'm re-invoking re it. 
yeah, that you, and, and even more so, not just falling in love, but you, the other person is so more than you have hoped for. And then you're being perceived as someone more than they could have been hoping for. The falling in love state, but it doesn't go away. Why? Because there's a matured being, matured, not just spiritual, bodily, that's capable of lifelong love, that's capable of forgiving, that's capable of apologizing, that isn't so thin-skinned that you can't touch anybody without possibly being sued or something. It's so extreme now, you know, and the steps to getting there, we've normalized that it's this extreme without examining. How did they get so starved, love-starved, mm-hmm. respect-starved? You know, yeah. Uh, uh, and it, it, and so the Tantra is not, you know, it's almost opposite of how it was uh, thought to be. It's, it's a lifelong involvement. Mm-hmm. And the two people that you're spellbound by each other because your state of consciousness is, I hate to say above average, but given that, that what is the average, that people don't find each other that compelling. Yeah. And they're not capable. I've seen in 40 years of marriage counseling of apologizing and forgiving and growing up with each other and and not succumbing to flirtations and all the others, you know, uh, 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 lures, you know, and and I should say there's a huge proportion of people, uh, at least 40 to 50% stay married in America for their whole life. So there's a the traditionalists aren't taking Tantra courses, but they're, I, I saw them at my 50th high school reunion. (laughs) <laughs> they had married their girlfriend, boyfriend in, co- in high school, and they were, they were grandparents now. Yeah. <laughs> and I, my, my, you know, escapades into India and all this, and they, they didn't do that. Yeah. But they showed me all their pictures of their grown-up kids and little grandkids, and they were very happy, you know, retired into their RVs and traveling the country. <laughs> so it, 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 this is another gap. We can't have access to uh, the other, I don't know what to call it, demographic that is not, that is happily married and without putting them down as Mr. Nowhere Man, you know, in their nowhere land, their ticky-tacky family homes, you know, and trapped in marriages. They don't think they're trapped. They, they're crying real tears when they show me their photos of their grandkids. And so it's a sad, you know, gap. So trying to put this back together that, if Tantra were happening the way I'm describing it, people would fall in love and then it starts to accumulate because in the second and third year of being with the same person in fourth and fifth and sixth, your bodies are harmonizing and you're giving the security to each other. So the secretions can come out. Trust is a very deep aspect that we all humans need to open up. Mm -hmm. Fundamental. So if you don't know if the person's going to be here next year and that becomes normalized because everybody's switching partners, we don't even know what I'm talking about. Mm. The kind of the bill and this bonding, this degree of bonding that you don't, nobody wants to be polyamorous. Mm-hmm. You know, the Dawn of Sex at Dawn guy, you know, this guy, I can't remember his name. He wrote, you know, a bestseller about poly, trying to justify polyamory. And I, and I said, what about you know, this idea of falling in love and what Tantra in India, what he used to talk about, he didn't know what I was talking about. Mm-hmm. There's a big divide between the polyamory community, the neo-Tantras that are not getting the right, the core 
aspect of fertility and not just having babies, but I'll get to the punchline, you know, and trying to do it respectfully because it looks like oral sex, but when will oral sex look and feel like you're going into a church? Or when will a church of that holy feeling be capable of being had when you look at a naked lover and, 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 and all kinds of permutations of, of, from all the different religions start to overlap until we realize we don't have a vocabulary to deal with what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. So the mouth is understand, understood as like kneeling. We know what it would be like to kneel in front of a crucifix. It would be a feeling of piety, right? But to open your mouth, we don't think of that as a mode of kneeling. But, if, but so how are you going to get to something like cunnilingus or so-called fellatio or cunnilingus, these sex acts, and transport that, that behavior so it's like miles away, same, looks similar, but the two people are like in church. Mm. And the ministries that are being secreted are not adrenaline and testosterone and estrogen. They're oxytocin and melatonin and dopamine, serotonin, which is the related to LSD. Yeah, people are worshiping each other. Their own chemistry is changing. It's not just desire, which is adrenaline. Now they're having what we call oxytocin. But what, how does that interact? How does the saliva of the one person that's now filled with oxytocin, which is, takes a puberty to get it at that level, and it's, they're having this oral worship. <laughs> and, they're, and, no, and, and at this point, nobody is needed to tell them this is way different than the Neo-Tantra that is everywhere because yeah. they're high as a kite. Yeah. Then everybody would look back and say, what a small thing we were settling for in the in 1990s and 2000, 2001. <laughs> Calling Neo-Tantra and circulating from all these people and risking <laughs> wanted pregnancies and marital gups and all this chaos, normalizing it. It, it would be a, like a, a huge wake-up call to how shallow this era, in a, I wouldn't say in a heavily judgmental way, yeah. but, it, but, but, it, but in a realistic way, mm-hmm. you know, it really was, we've only translated 5% of the Indo-Tibetan archive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what you're saying is that basically people can, don't have to just choose the safety and the long relationship, but not explore anything or have the choice to have many partners and explore different realms of, of reality, but actually bring those two together so that, that they can have the security and the trust that's built up in a long-term relationship and within that relationship, explore bliss and higher states of consciousness and all these exciting things together through their intimacy. Yeah, and it's, it's not like, oh, isn't it, aren't we lucky? No, this is, Tantra is, is trying to be like describing the way things actually are. It's not like you know, Christianity or Buddhism or yoga or try this, try that. They're, they're like physics. You don't say, well, we can try this kind of physics and then we can make up some new physics and see how that works. Physicists <laughs> don't talk like that. Yeah. They're trying to be a measurable reality and you're not just trying and dabbling around in things. You know, and so this is taken very seriously as a way of, of, of describing reality. And when reality is obeyed, we don't have all, all, all these chaotic 
either problems or things that we've normalized that make it sound weird and maybe we can get these two things back together. Yeah. No, no, they, 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 we've been keeping them apart. Keeping them apart, yeah. <laughs> and the immature theories of human development haven't helped. They've, they've made us stay at this kind of teenage level. Yeah. You know, what happened, what is the relationship like when you've been together for 40 or 50 years and you're now in your 80s and 90s? There's a different kind of arrows, and that's not even on the map. Because yeah. people don't think they're going to ever be with that person, or that it's not even worth thinking about to be with someone who will be taking care of you, take, walking you to the toilet or something, <laughs> keeping you alive. We don't have any respect about that level of, of romantic or marital intimacy, that the couple is helping keep each other alive with a lifetime of children and grandchildren and memories all shared from age 18 to age 90. Mm -hmm. All of that is bendable in the modern paradigm. Mm -hmm. Christopher Lash in the 70s wrote a book called The Culture of Narcissism, where he was predicting what we're now talking about. Family would be a lost reality. The idea of staying with somebody, you know, we're lucky if we could get the two things to combine. No, the, the, the natural order is that it exceeds our expectations to allow the, the, these missing puberties that are in all the different world religions, I think if we use the modern term, you know, second, what do they call it? Rebirth, is to be reborn in the name of Jesus. You know, that's, that's, a, that's, that's a similar metaphor to another puberty. What I'm describing, it, it should be totally natural. And you, you got me to talk about, you know, one thing of, the, of how do you get there is, yeah, the, the anointment practice. But then I was switching to say others yeah, because I wanted to, you know, include at least something that looks like ordinary eroticism, which is this uh, Ouroboros. I would rename the 69 position in its more spiritual term, which is the infinity symbol. Mm -hmm. And that's where you're uh, nourishing because it's an or, it's a uh, it's a nourishing rather than a genital to genital, which starts to look more and more like for the purpose of procreation it starts to look like what the Catholics were saying, that if you don't need any contraception if you understand that Ouroboros is many times superior erotically in, in intimacy value and in psychedelic impact on the brain and spiritual experience. There's no, there's no comparison between the Ouroboric eroticism, which is not even described, except if you look in certain texts. You start seeing about nectar and 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 it's and you know this and, and just to show you how different it is, for the woman's side, the um, nectar comes through the veins and arteries in the shaft of the penis, not in the semen, mm -hmm. and that starts to get into this other problem of so-called semen retention. That's like this huge neo-tantric discovery. But when you realize that it's a side effect, this endless eroticism, if the chemistries of worship are in the bloodstream, oxytocin, you modify oxytocin levels, which are related to, in a loose way currently to love, you're going to make sex be endless, not as a mechanical skill that men can get good at, but because they actually love the person they're with. And not only love them, but they really see their identity, not just as a beautiful, wonderful, but 
yeah, the goddess in the sense of connected to the source of life. And, and then the endlessness just unfolds in a natural way. There's no effort to retain anything. It's, it's the whole body has a, somewhat of a new body because we know the prostate is homologous to the womb, right? Yeah. We know the, uh, pros- we know the clitoris is homologous to the penis. Mm-hmm. The prostate is homologous, but that also means the womb is homologous to the prostate. Now we have to think that through. That means the prostate is a holding space mm-hmm. for fertility, like the womb is. The womb is a holding space for gestation and fertility. Mm-hmm. So in this uh, aspect of gender identity, which is completely lost in our modern ideas of bisexuality and transgenderism, which is another sad chapter, in my opinion, of, of modern eros gone awry with young kids thinking, you know, getting surgeries and all that, you know, because we don't understand the, 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 the tantric way of, of, of grasping the perineum, and in this case, even science, Western science, that it's a natural phenomenon. Everyone has uh, uh, these homologous connections between prostate and womb, mm-hmm. but it's not a basis from which to then get a, bo- a, a bodily, tr- you know, surgical, get you know, changing of your body so your identity is right. right. Why? There's some in the tantric understanding that I would be sharing is gender is not merely about identity. It, it is about the the, abil- the the state of bliss that your body is able to create, and once the genital uh, focus is exploded and permeates the whole body, then you don't need these surgeries to get the right genitalia, mm-hmm. because it, to change the DNA in your whole body, if you were to follow that logic, mm-hmm. it's going to go through the, all the DNA of your whole body, you know. Uh, so, so the logic starts to fall apart of, of uh, but on, a, on an un, un, unknown basis. It's not politics. Mm-hmm. We're saying that transgender is it's a faulty theory of gender. The gender is the ability to have bliss. That's what yoga is about. Yeah. The inner marriage is of sun and moon, hatha yoga, sun moon. Uh, is is if it didn't create more bliss, they wouldn't do it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so and so likewise, it's how the male and female externally interact with each other. If 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 it doesn't create more bliss, and in in terms of the neo tantric community, this strange wake up call. Wow, the bliss is better if we drop everything that's being taught and start respecting fertility. Mm-hmm. It beginners, sheer beginners because we don't even know what it barely means to respect for the fertility of each other. Whether it's through kissing the vaginas and penises, we don't know how to do that. Yeah. One of the things I love from Tantra is looking at the sculptures, the paintings, and from there you, you get this sense of, of course, even just the Shiva Linga, just the worship of the genitals. It's something we can't even understand um, because we've split the two apart for so long. Um, And as you say, the experience of church is so different from the experience of sex for most people that even understanding how to fuse them together is beyond many people's comprehension. I have, so we have to wrap up. Unfortunately, I could keep chatting for hours, but I just want to mention that you have a book for those who are ignited and fascinated and want to learn more. Um, You've written a book called Advanced Spiritual Intimacy, 
Could you just tell us a, a quick bit about that book so that people know where they can access more? Well, it's on Amazon. It, it cycles through, you know, the top one, top thousand, five thousand. So it, it's at times a bestseller. Um, you can get my academic writings at, at academia.edu under my name, which are all free. And then I have another book, uh, Your Perfect Lips, which was, I thought poetry was a better medium than a how-to manual. How-to is, is not really, uh, it, it's a modern invention and it, it boils away the romance. Poetry returns the romantic quality. The poetic path to enlightenment is through poetry. So uh, those would be the two publications I would suggest. Fantastic. I'm a big fan of that. Also, I feel poetry and um, the more mystical experience can't come through using too much of the logical brain. So that's a wonderful thing to recommend. Well, thank you so much. This has been so fascinating and so many topics that are dear to my heart. So I'm really glad to have uh, chatted with you today. And um, yeah, I will put some links uh, with this podcast so that people can find more from you. So thank you so much for sharing some of your enormous wisdom with us. A pleasure. Pleasure <laughs> talking with you. Thank you. Thank you.